Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Only you can satisfy 
got just one With my arms stretched wide I will worship you So I throw up my hands And praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a So 
know it's not much, but I'm nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing Would you turn to Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Uh, is there anybody in here that all you have is a hallelujah? Like, is there anybody here? I was thinking about that during the song. That all you have, maybe all you feel like you have right now is a hallelujah. Like, you're just spent you're just down. Can I tell you, your life's not over, right? It's not over, right? God's got something for you. I just want to encourage you to just, during this time, lean in on him, grab a hold of him, and he will become real to you. It has been in my darkest hours, in my darkest days, where I'd lost everything, and all I had a hallelujah, right? But I gave it to him, and he gave me back so much more. Your life's not over. Just get a hold of him, all right? Amen. Colossians uh, 4, beginning at verse 2. This, this, these scriptures are my life verses for ministry. I'm excited because I can share my life verses for ministry. Does anybody in here think church is boring? Like, are you brave enough to raise your hand right now and, and just say, be honest with me and say, you know what? Church is pretty boring. Prayer is boring. Nobody, come on. I know somebody's thinking that in here. You're just a little too nervous. All right. <laughs> Church is boring. Prayer is boring. This whole God thing, man, 18s, that's where you're at right now. Like, I, pff, whatever, you know, I'm just here because my parents make me come or something like that. Man, I, I'm praying that that all changes for you today because this is the passage of scripture that God gave me that changed it all for me. And, and maybe it won't hit you in the same way, but I hope it does because like I used to think church was boring. I didn't enjoy coming to church. My mom made me come to church. So I was here, you know, and then God spoke to me through this passage, and I'm, man, I'm really hyping this passage up. I hope it delivers like it did with me for you, but um, man, this is where everything changed for me and got exciting and got crazy, right, where God flipped it all around. So uh, I'm praying for that for you today. All right, Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2, before we get to there, when Pearl Harbor was attacked. Pearl Harbor, remember? December 7th, 1941, the day that will live in infinity, the day that our church was founded, right? Same day, same exact day, right? Uh, when, when Pearl Harbor was attacked, there was a scrawny shipyard worker named Desmond Doss that was among the many people in America that witnessed this and was disturbed by what happened, and he wanted to do something about it. He just felt something in his being. He had to do something about it. He was a religious man who had sworn never to take a life, right? So he enlisted, but he enlisted as a medic, and he resolved never to carry a weapon, not even a knife. So he was put in a battalion. This battalion was sent to the Pacific, and as you can imagine, many in his units did not care for this guy, right? Coward, 
Yeah, you're, you're not going to hold a gun. You're not going to take a gun. And, and some even told him, hey, uh, um, when we get into combat, I'm going to make sure that you don't come back alive. That's what they told him, right? And, well, a part of the 77th Infantry Division, they landed in Guam, and, and there he would receive the Bronze Star for his actions, for, for uh, being brave and treating the wounded in the line of fire. Well, needless to say, he started to win some of his unit over with his actions. Another battle that he went to was awarded a second bronze star for, for bravery in combat. Later, his battalion went to Okinawa, where they were charged with scaling a 400-foot cliff. And, and some of you know exactly who I'm talking about right now, right? Uh, they were to take this, this cliff from the entrenched Japanese there, and they tried, and under fierce resistance, though, they were pushed back down over that edge of the cliff. And by the end of the day, it was only the Japanese left, wounded Americans, and Desmond Das, who was wounded himself. Well, uh, the Americans uh, noticed when they looked up at that cliff down at the bottom that there was a, a body being lowered down. And they came to find out it was a wounded American. And, and uh, so they got that person. And then all of a sudden they noticed another body being lowered, lowered down. And another body and another body and another body. All throughout the night, I hear Desmond Doss was, was going and grabbing people, these wounded Americans, and lowering them down the cliff to, to the Americans that were out at the bottom. Uh, they estimated that he lowered 75 men down that cliff, right? And for his actions, he was awarded the Medal of Honor. I think the only non-combatant to receive the Medal of Honor in World War II. And he was asked what was going through his mind uh, as he continued to put himself in harm's way to rescue the wounded. He just kept saying, please, God, let me save one more. Let me get one more, right? Here's a guy who was shot through the arm, had shrapnel on his own body. He could have just used that as a good excuse to get out of there and get help for himself. But no, he, he stayed, not thinking of himself, but, but praying Please, God, let me get one more. I mentioned this story because it's a story of an ordinary guy, scrawny guy, right? An ordinary man that God used to do an extraordinary thing, which just kind of lines up with Sunday school today. The thing was, the key to this, I think, was his willing, his willingness right? Uh, the passage we're going to read uh, is fascinating. It's this fascinating moment where Paul is talking about the mission of God, the plan of God to use ordinary people to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness and to bring them into the kingdom of God. It's the mission where Christ saw people made in the image of God, right? But broken by sin, devastated by depravity, and so he came down to save us from that, to pull us out of that darkness into a new life, a whole life, where we could have a relationship with our creator, the God of the universe, where we could see that relationship restored. We see this played out in the book of Acts. God is on a rescue mission through Jesus Christ. And he says to his people, you will be my witnesses, right? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth, right? The good news the mission is entrusted to ordinary people to carry to the ends of the earth if, if we're willing. And that's the big if, right? This mission we are called to is the, we are called into the ministry of reconciliation. 
And we're given this tremendous responsibility. We have to see ourselves as missionaries. Missionaries are not just people that go overseas. We have to see ourselves as missionaries right where we're at. You are an ambassador for Christ. And that's either a good or bad thing. You are an ambassador for Christ. I believe that all of us want to have a life full of meaning and purpose. We want that. Don't we, right? We want to count. And if you are in Christ, you know you have been brought into the greatest of all stories, right? It's here where our longing for a life of purpose, for a life of, uh, of, that counts, right? Um, it's here that that intersects with the greatest mission that anyone could be called into. The greatest story about what Jesus has done. The good news. I think we all come to this moment where we have this realization, right, that we're a part of that, that we're called into that. We, we go to the conferences, the Christian conferences. We, we have the sermons, and we're like, yeah, we're, let's be about this. Let's get a, be a part of this. Let's do this right. And then there comes to the moment, though, that's followed up and says, all right, go tell your friends. Go tell your family members. Go tell your coworkers. And we come to the moment like, oh, no, 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 no. That, that's going to be awkward. Right? I don't, I don't know if I'm willing to do that. I don't know if I want to do that. They, they, they might not like that. Right? You say that they're lost, but they don't feel lost. Right? If I tell them they're lost, they don't feel like they're lost. Right? You say that they're drowning and we should show them that life preserver, right, to save them, but they just think they're swimming in the ocean having a good time and they're wondering why do we keep hitting them in the head with that life preserver? It does not make sense to them. I don't think my friends, I don't think my family members really want this or want to hear about this, right? So this is the tension that every Christian exists in, right? I want a life of purpose. I found the greatest of all purposes to be a part in, but I'm scared to death. It just doesn't feel like the right thing to do, to, do, to be a part of that, right? It's human nature that when we enjoy something, it's human nature that we just naturally want to tell somebody about it, though, right? Christmas 2001, I buy the original Xbox, the very first Xbox to come off the shelves, and there's two games for it when I went and got it. One, one flight ace combat thing and something else, and then there was this other game called Halo Combat Evolved. And I only had enough money for one of those games, so I really like f- flight games, you know, but... They always let me down, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this Halo Combat Evolved, and I try it, and it is the most amazing game ever that I've ever played, right? And so what do I do? I tell all my friends about it. Oh, you got to try this game called Halo. It, it is awesome. What do I do? Oh, you got to come over to my house, play it, try it out, right? That's just natural. It's a natural part of human nature that we experience something amazing, something great, something good, that we just want to share it with other people right? I was an ambassador for Xbox and Halo. (laughs) Like they should have paid me money for all the people that I talked into buying into that. We're all ambassadors of great movies, music, sports teams, right? Oh, you have to see this movie. Oh, you have to try this restaurant. Right, I went to this restaurant, and the food was amazing. It was great. The experience was amazing. you got to try this thing out, right? Well, uh, once you have a Hemi, you never go back, right, Mike? 
or you got to buy this Apple device. Um, we're all ambassadors for something, right? And uh, that's just how we're built. And we want, as Christians, we want other people to experience this Jesus that we know that has changed our life. But at the same time, we're scared to tell other people about it, right? That's the tension that we exist in. And I get this. Yes, I'm a pastor, but I'm also an introvert, right? There are a lot of introverts out there that are pastors I'm, I'm learning, and that's kind of cool. I'm not always social. I don't like to just go up and start conversations with people, especially strangers. I feel like I'm terrible at it, but I can't let that stop me from being a part of what God has called me to do, right? And you can't as well. Just like when I tell somebody, this game is awesome, all we have to do is share the experience that we've had with the game or whatever we're selling, but more importantly, with Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Share the experience that we've had with Jesus Christ, right? Oh, man, I want you to experience the freedom in Christ that I have. I want you to experience. I want you to experience what it's like to be able to pray to the King of Kings directly, right? That's what we want to share. That's our testimony. That's, that's what's amazing. That's what we're experiencing. What, what, what I would like to do today is just examine God's word and see it where it takes us. It's going to take us to be a part of his work of rescuing people. The greatest work. This is, like I said, my ministry life first. This is, this is how we are a part of changing the world, and I truly believe that. This is a how we are a part of changing communities. This is how we are a part of changing family. This is how we are a part of changing workplaces. This is it right here, all right? Um, Paul gives us step-by-step what we can do, even if we're introverts and we don't feel like gifted. I don't feel gifted in the area of evangelism, right? But I've seen what God can do when I'm willing. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Father, speak to us through your word. Call us today. Lord. Let us take part in your ministry, the ministry that you've started, the ministry that you've entrusted to us. Help us all, every one of us who proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord, to be a part of this. Lord, we love you, and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Seated. Or seated. Paul starts off with, devote yourselves to prayer persist in it. Stay active in it. Jesus tells a story in Luke 18, remember, uh, about this woman who went to this unjust judge. You remember that story, right? The The judge didn't care about God. The judge didn't care about this woman or justice or what people thought. The woman came to him, though, and asked him for justice against her adversary. At first, the judge refused to grant her request, 
but because she kept coming, because she kept bothering him, right? He made sure that she got justice. And then Jesus says, hey, if an unjust judge will answer that kind of persistence, what about a God of justice, right? We need to be devoted to prayer and pray persistently. I confess I forget about this. How, how can a pastor forget about this? I don't know. Sometimes I'm just not that smart, right? But I forget about this, and I will tell you, I will go through these moments where I'm struggling. Struggling like, what am I going to preach? Usually Thursday night. If you want to pray for me for preaching, Thursday night is when I try to come up with a subject. So I will, I will think, I will pray, I will read the Word and, and everything. And sometimes, actually, I forget the pray part, right? And so I'm struggling, trying to figure out what am I going to preach in, and, and it doesn't come to me, and I'm like, eh, and something, you know, I'm just trying everything on size, right? Trying stuffing out, stuff out, nothing. All night, no clue. And then it dawns on me, James, did you... Remember to pray about it? No. Why? Why not? And I will pray for it. And I, I cannot tell you how many times I've prayed about it. And then like soon after, there's the message. Soon after, it, it comes, right? How many times do I struggle against something, struggle with something, the weight of it, the responsibility of it? Man, th- this season, this last year has been a struggle with the church, and the weight of it, and the responsibility of it, and things going on in the church time and time again, and I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm trying to make it work, and I'm trying to fix it, and I'm failing, and I'm failing, and I'm failing, and then God comes along and says, is it your church, or is it my church? Why don't you let me handle that? And the times that I'm able to do that and lay those things down, weights are lifted, Peace comes back into my life, right? And joy. It's your church, Lord, man. I give it to you. Devote yourselves to prayer. Do you remember James, a.k.a. old camel knees? You remember that, James? Half-brother of Jesus, likely writer of the amazing book of James that we have in our Bible. According to church historian Eusebius, who, often, who quotes a, a lost work of this person's name that starts with an H that I can't uh, pronounce. He tells us that this man prayed so much in the temple that his knees became hard and misshaped and looked like those of a camel. You ever see a camel's legs, how skinny they are, and then they puff out, right? And then they go. That's what James's knees looked like. In our society, there's something about a man who has calluses on his hands, right? In the Bible, there's something about a man or woman with calluses on their knees from being in prayer so much, right? Are you devoted to prayer? Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful, the word watchful here is connected to when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. He was uh, praying right beforehand and right before he would be crucified. And do you remember when he's praying, he, he brings his inner circle with him. He's in anguish. He's sweating great drops of blood, Right? He's with his friends and his family, and, and they're with him. And he asks them to keep praying, keep watch with him. But what happens? They, they keep falling asleep, right? Matthew 26, 40, he comes back, finds them sleeping. He says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Watch, right? Don't, don't fall asleep because there's something huge about to happen here. 
right? And you don't want to miss it. There's a bigger story playing out right now. Huge event historically. So watch and pray so that you won't become tempted, so that you won't become consumed with sleep and miss it. So that you need to watch and see what God is doing in these moments. All throughout his last conversations, he's, he's using this terminology, saying be watchful. Watch for his return too. That's what he also tells them. Be awake spiritually. My friends, we need to be awake spiritually. We, we do, right? What do, you, what do you mean? We need to recognize the spiritual things that are going on around us. We need God to reveal what he's doing in people's lives. What they're dealing with. And in these situations, what's really going on in the life of my coworker? That coworker that just hates me and has it in for me. What's really, God, would you just reveal what's really going on in that person's life so that I can reach out to them, right? Be watchful and aware. Don't get lulled to sleep. We, you know what we get lulled to sleep by today? Entertainment, comfort. Binge watching some series on Netflix. That's what lulls us to sleep. And there is a bigger reality. There is a bigger story going on right now, right around you, right? Be watchful. There's a spiritual story playing out in your apartment complex with the people that you're next to, right? There's a spiritual story going on right now with your neighbor, with your coworkers. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. And also be thankful. Why are we thankful when we pray? Because we get to talk to God. We get to go to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ. The the God of the universe who can do anything. The God of the universe who won't do everything that we ask him. He'll only do what's best for us. That is the God, though, that we trust when the answer is no. We trust when the answer is wait, right? We trust when the answer is yes. That's the God that we're able to go to through Christ, our mediator. Not only can we do that, we're called to do it. Paul goes on to say in verse 3, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, Christ for which I am in chains. Two things he asks them to pray for here, right? Pray that, the God, that God may open a door for our message. Paul prayed this all the time. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. A great door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. I love that. Did you catch that? God opened a door, and we probably think that that means one thing, but then he says, and many oppose me. Let's expect that. That many will oppose us, and it'll be a good thing. I remember God opened a door with a woman named Lydia, right? And she received that message and God created an opportunity and then he created life change in not only her, but her entire family and her entire family was baptized and a church was born. Do you remember that? God creates opportunities if we're willing. This is why I pray, Lord, give us an opportunity, right? We pray that every week, Lord, give us an opportunity when we go out of here. This service cannot be the main thing that we focus in on. If, if a church just focuses in on this, they're missing out on the mission. 
We've got to be mission-minded, right? Lord, will you give us an opportunity? Will you open the door? Why? So that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ. What a beautiful thing to proclaim. Early in Colossians 1.27, he says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I can share the mystery of Christ. I can tell you that all your shame, your condemnation, your sin is not the end of your story. No matter where you're at right now. No ma- do, you, do you really believe that? Absolutely. No matter where you're at right now, it is not the end of your story. My friends, your flaws, your brokenness will not bury you. If you are in Christ, his glory is too good. Your redemption is at hand. Can we be devoted to prayer and pray that God will open a door? I said I'm not gifted in evangelism, but I have prayed this prayer, and I have seen God just do that. God opened doors, and I'm talking pre-pastor days. Those, those were the good days, because once people find out you're a pastor, they just treat you a little differently, Right? Pre-pastor days, man, I have people, had people that have come up to me and asked me, uh, you seem like a Christian, how do, how do I give my life to Christ? See, that is a softball from God. He will give you those types of things, right, out of the blue. Hey, I've had people say, what's this salvation thing about? I'm not talking about at church. I'm talking about at Taco Bell talking about while playing video games i got to talk to somebody in another country around the world about jesus christ through a video game like i said i am not gifted in evangelism so i pray lord if you want me to talk to to somebody about you you got to open that door you got to give me that opportunity you got to guide the conversation you have to create the opportunity and give me the courage to step in and take it Verse 4, Paul also asks, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray for opportunities to proclaim the mysteries of Christ, right? And pray that you may proclaim it clearly. Don't you just love when somebody's clear? When they just, they're just plain with you, good or bad, right? You know where you stand with somebody. They're just like, I just don't like you. Okay, great. Now I know. I appreciate that, right? Make it clear, Somebody approached you and said, could you explain salvation to me? It might intimidate you. Do, you. do you remember, though, when Jesus was crucified? He was crucified along two criminals, right? One, according to Luke 23, hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself, right? But the other one in Luke 23, 40 says to the other one, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. There's, there's a confession. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What's the, what's the criminal's big theological statement there? What's his, did he go into justification, regeneration, adoption, did, did he go into the propitiation of sins? Did he, did he go into all that? No, what's, what's he say? 
remember me. Remember me, Jesus. Right after he confessed, that's got to be a part of it, right? Hey, I'm getting what my deeds deserve, but would you remember me? Would you save me? Isn't that what you prayed? Lord, forgive me. I realize the weight of my sin. Would you forgive me? Would you remember me? Would you save me? I have no hope. My deeds are the reason that I'm on this cross, right? This is what I deserve. Save me. I'm asking you. And he did. And you can relate this to your own testimony, right? Hey, I realize the cost of my sin. I realized I was killing myself. I realized I was living for nothing. I realized I was just going downhill, right? I I know that I don't deserve anything good. There's nothing good I deserve. But then God came to me, right? And revealed that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus came down and that he paid the price of my sins. And that if I accept him as my savior, if I accept him as my Lord, right? He will save me. It's not hard. Be plain with people. Pray for open doors to proclaim the mysteries of Christ in a way that people can understand. Will you pray this? How many, I wonder in here, will? Would you not only pray this for yourself, but would you pray it for all your brothers and sisters in here? all your brothers and sisters at the other churches, right? Lord, give us opportunities when we're out and about having conversations with people. My friends, we have to get on mission. We have to get on mission. We're, we're good. We're pretty good. We're getting better with the friends becoming family part, right? We were once friends, but now we're family, but we're on a great mission. And this is where we're lacking in this church today. We're not on mission. We don't take ownership of that, each and every one of us. Now, that, maybe that's the pastor's job. Maybe that's Doug Lillo's job. You know, he's good at evangelism, but that's not me. No, that's, that's each and every one of us. And until we take it on, really take it to heart, right? Our community will not change. Our workplaces will not change. Our families will not change. We are on a great mission, right? Verse 5, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. My friends, we desperately, desperately need to be wise in how we act towards outsiders. I hope we all realize how important this is, right? First, if we don't look any different than anyone else, why in the world would somebody be drawn to us? Why? If we look the same as them, people need to see the effect of God in your life before they will even be interested or drawn to the message that he has supposedly changed your life. Do you look different than the world around you? Do you not respond like the world responds around you? How are you acting in the workplace? Are you complaining like everyone else? Is there a big difference between Sunday at church you and Monday at work you? 
I was, a, I was a janitor for a while. Cleaned a couple buildings here in town. That will open your eyes to how people treat people. Do you know the name of the cleaning people at your work? What could you do to bless them? Right? Does that thought come into your mind? What could you do to help them? What could you do to make their job easier? What could you do to make the job easier for your coworker? What could you do to make the job easier for the coworker who doesn't like you, who speaks nasty things of you? I've been in political positions where people say all sorts of things that are not true. Who cares? Let them, right? Because if people know me, they're not going to believe that. So let them. Let God handle that. Let God handle all that stuff. You just lay it down. I know you want to fight that. I know you want to step into that. I know you want to tell that person off. Lay it down. Let God do it. Pray for them. That's what we're called to do. Be a blessing to them. I know it's hard. I know you don't want to. I don't want to, right? But it'll give you an amazing testimony. It will give you the right to speak into their life and share why you're different. Just smiling at people is a huge difference, right? Just genuinely being interested in where people are at and what's going on in their life. I don't want to be a full-time pastor because work gives me an opportunity to speak to people that don't know Christ. I don't want to be a full-time pastor because I know if I do, I'll probably only have Christian friends. That's just how it works, it seems like. Hey, why are you so unhappy when they come up to you, right? When they come up to you and they see something different and they're like, why are you so happy? Why aren't you all stressed out? Well, this might sound crazy to you. I've started off some conversations like that, right? But the scripture says, don't be anxious about anything. But make your request known to God and the peace of God will overflow in your life, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? I, man, I tell you what, I've just been living in these verses and they've given me a lot of peace. And it's just changed my attitude. That, that's how you respond. That's how you can respond to people. What is Christ teaching you? What is he doing in your life? What, what, is, what, is, what is he saying to you? Those are the things that he calls you to share. Grab those opportunities and point towards Christ. Right? Brian Head Welch, lead guitarist for Korn. You might not know who Korn is, but let's just say they're a fairly aggressive rock band. We'll just leave it like that. Fairly aggressive rock band, right? Years ago, Brian is making a ton of money and he gets into real estate. In his book, he wrote, he met a guy named Doug. He said, Doug was a church going goody goody. But he was a positive person, so he was drawn to him. He did these real estate deals with Doug and this other guy, Eric. At the time, Brian was heavy into meth speed, just in complete darkness, depressed, heavy into porn, and he hit rock bottom. And he said, I knew it was time to reach out for help. So we reached out to the goody goodies, Doug and Eric, sent them an email about some real estate, and he started to hint, did you hear that? Lord, let us be awake. Let us be aware 
of the little things, right? He started to hint about how unhappy he was. Not too long later, he got an email from Eric out of the blue, and it said this, Brian, not to get all weird on you or anything, but I was reading my Bible this morning, and you came to mind when I read this verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then he went on to say, I don't know why, but I had a very strong feeling that that would mean something to you and that I should send it to you. Please don't take it the wrong way. All the best, Eric. My friends, what if we are reading our Bibles every day and God is not only speaking to us through the passages that we are reading, but what if he gives us a verse to give to somebody else? How cool would that be? Right? Brian said he read this email and replied, and when he did, he said everything came pouring out of him. He told him, hey, I'm a lost soul, man. My life isn't funny anymore. Do you have any advice of where to go from here? Opportunity. Eric shared with him about a relationship with Jesus Christ, offered to meet with him and talk with him, and Brian Head Welch gave his life to Jesus Christ, and his life has drastically changed since then. Why? Because God gives us opportunities if we're awake to them. If we're not too busy, if we're not lulled to sleep, right? And because of the faithfulness of Eric and Doug, pastors, no, Eric and Doug, real estate guys, right? Ordinary people willing to be used by God. Pray for opportunities. Pray we recognize them and respond to them, right? Hey, I don't, know, I don't want to be weird, but I was just thinking about you and praying for you, and, and, and God told me to give you this verse and talk to you. So be devoted to prayer. Look for opportunities. Walk wisely so that they notice a difference, right, and, and, and reach out to you, and then speak graciously. That's the last thing in here. This has really challenged me here lately. Two things stand out to me. A lot of people in Christianity, in Christian circles, love to, love to quote the, um, St. Francis Assisi who said, preach, gospel, preach the gospel and then if necessary, use words. Basically saying you can just live your life in ex- as an example and that's good enough. You don't have to say anything. No. Not true. We have to speak. We have to speak, right? If you don't say anything, how will they know? If you don't say anything, how will they know? You and I need to speak. We use this as an excuse because we're scared. Because it terrifies us. But words are necessary. We're called to share the good news. Yes, the way we act is extremely important. We've got to act from a place. We've got to speak from a place where God has changed our life so that we do have a testimony to share. That, that does draw people in. But then when they are drawn in, when we do have the opportunity, we have to speak the words. Words are necessary. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. How to answer everyone. We have to speak. 
Second part, do you have a gracious way of talking to people? Some of you know a lot, but no one cares what you say because you speak with no grace when you speak. That's all truth, but not said in a graceful way. Are your words aimed at healing or winning? Are they aimed at teaching a person a lesson, putting people in their place? Or do you want to see them come to know Christ and have their life changed? Seasoned with salt, it should be something that is so good that people want more. G.K. Chesterton lived in the 1800s, early 1900s in Britain. His writings were so profound that, uh, in their apologetics that they actually helped convert a young C.S. Lewis from atheism to Christianity. They inspired many people. His, his writings are beautiful. His book, Orthodoxy, is historic. But here's the thing. The dude was really silly. One person said he was an overgrown elf of a man who laughed at his own jokes and amused children at birthday parties by catching biscuits in his mouth. He didn't take himself too seriously. He was always invited to debate people like George Bernard Shaw, H.G. Wells. They would pack out stadiums, right? He would show up late, tripping over the podium, tripping over the stacks, pulling out slips of paper, right? And he would always laugh at his own jokes. And because of his demeanor, he became friends with the people that he debated. He had this habit, too, that after the debate, he would take them out to the pub, that probably helped out a little bit too. He became friends with all these people. He, he, he vigorously opposed what they said, what, what they were putting. He, he vigorously defended the Bible, and yet he was winsome and appealing. And as a result, they wanted to be around him. This is what one person who debated against him said about the experience of being on stage with him. He said, To hear Chesterson's howl of joy, to see him double himself up in agony at laughter at my personal insults, to watch the effect of his sportsmanship on a shocked audience who were won to mirth by his intense quirks of joy was a sight and a sound for the gods. And I carried away from that room a respect and admiration for this tomboy among dictionaries, this philosophical Peter Pan, this kind and gallop cherub, this profound student and wise master who has grown steadily ever since. It was monstrous, gigantic, amazing, deadly, delicious. Nothing like this has ever been done or will ever be seen, heard, or felt again. My friends, this is the person he was debating. This was the person who he fought vigorously. He disagreed with vigorously, and he said this about his, this experience, right? He said it was disarming every philosophy that he held dear, and to watch it, it was magnificent and glorious. And I don't know if I'll ever see something that beautiful again. Why did he say that? Because this man cared to speak the truth, but he did it in love. My friends, that's the picture of Jesus. A lot of people want to talk about the truth, but they do it without grace. The truth is offensive to people. We can't get around that. There, there's no, we don't hide the truth. We speak the truth. But we season it with grace so that it's easier to swallow. 
My friends, God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. He will do it with you if you will allow him to. I want to end with a story that I heard from a pastor. He had a student that left school and, and moved to work in uh, another country in Austria. He said, I don't know any Christians out here. So can you give me advice on how to grow in my faith and how should I, should I approach this and, and how I should be a Christian in this culture? And so the pastor sent him this list, right? And he told him, hey, pray a lot. Pray a lot that God will open doors. Get to know your Bible really well. Serve people. And then ask God to create opportunities and give you the courage to take them. That was his advice, right? And the kid wrote back excited. You're not going to believe this. He said, I was so convicted by that pray a lot line. He said, I don't pray at all. I wasn't praying at all. And then I started. And I started to ask God to create opportunities. And he said, the very next day, I'm giving writing lessons to this kid. And the kid starts bringing up the church that he used to go to as a kid. And then he says, Man's, man, I don't do that anymore. And I got all these questions. And he said, what do you believe? He said, he brought it up. So I told him what I believe. A couple days later, the same thing happened. I'm teaching writing lessons to this girl, and she said how she watched this movie last night called The Passion of the Christ. She said it was terrifying, and she said, I don't understand why this man had to die like that. I don't get it at all. And he said, well, I'm, I'm reading, the, the, I'm studying the Gospel of John. Would you like to read it with me? And she said, yeah, actually, I would. And he said he was kind of concerned to just study it with her because there was some interesting dynamics there. She was cute, in other words. And so it was a little bit awkward, but he just keep, kept praying about it. And it just so happened that somebody else could, came up and said, hey, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we're reading through the Gospel of John. And she's like, oh, I want to do that too. So she joined in. The kid wrote the pastor back and was like, hey, I got this little community that every day is reading about Jesus. We had a woman coming to us searching spiritually in all these different places, and she heard about what we're doing, and so she joined us too because she wants to read it. So she's here too. It's like, I don't even know how this happened, but I'm walking with people in an ever-increasing wake of people to the front door of the person of Jesus. Just showing them, here's what Jesus is like. Here's how Jesus treated people that were in a mess. Look at how he was with children, right? Look at who he was. Look at, look at who he claimed to be. And then I'm just asking him, do you believe? God loves to use the ordinary to do extraordinary if we let him. He invites us into the ministry of reconciliation if we take it. Most of us are not doing that. And that's why Christianity is boring. You hear me? Most of us are not doing that. And that's why Christianity doesn't matter. Your prayer life is boring. It's because you aren't on mission. Think about how it would change if you were on mission. Think about it if you were praying for an opportunity. Lord, give me an opportunity with this coworker. I don't know what's going on, but I want to be a light to them, and I want to know what's going on in their life. And it, that's when it gets exciting, when you're on mission. If you aren't on mission, if you're just lulled to sleep with entertainment and comfort and not stepping out on your faith, right? Christianity is the most boring thing. You might as well not do it. But if you'll 
take part in what he's called us to, it will become crazy. Man, your prayers will change. You'll probably quit praying so much for health things and stuff like that and pray for God to open doors. That'll become the focus of our prayer life. God, open a door. Give me an opportunity. Lord, I'm scared to death, right? But it's the most amazing thing ever. I got to speak to somebody about Jesus Christ. Have you ever led somebody to the faith? That's when it gets exciting because that's your purpose. That's what you're called to do. And if you're not doing that, you're off purpose. You're off mission. And it's just you're coming to this, coming to this building and giving money and singing and stuff like that. And, and you're missing it. Will you you take this passage of Scripture? Will you put it on your mirror in your bathroom? And will you read it every morning? And will you make that your prayer? If you do, I guarantee you, this life will get crazy. I guarantee you, this life will have meaning. This life will have purpose. Everything will have purpose that that you deal with throughout the day. Because you'll see Christ's hand at work in it. That's the challenge. I double-dog dare you to do it. Life was boring. Christianity was boring before this for me till I realized there's a mission that I'm called to. There's a bigger purpose in life than just being a Chicago Bears fan. Amen? Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for today. Lord, would you put mission on our heart? Would you help us to be about this every day? Would you give us opportunities to speak to people? Would you, would you take away our fears, Lord? And when you don't, would you help us still step out on faith and reach out to people? Would you help us to be interested with people? Would you help us to be awake in what's going on in their lives, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, the people that we meet? Lord, would you, would you just make us aware of the spiritual battles that are going on? Lord, would you show us that, that young lady who has no hope? Lord, that, that old person who thinks that they don't have any meaning or purpose in life, would you speak to them? Would you use us to communicate? Their life isn't over. There's lots to do because we can be a part of what you're doing. Lord, would you never let it go to our heads? Would you never let let us think that it's all dependent on us? Would you remind us that we partner with you and you do all the heavy lifting? Lord, would you open doors? Would you steer conversations? And would you give us the courage to speak the mysteries of Jesus Christ and proclaim it plainly? in a way they can understand. Would you help us to share what you're doing in our lives? Would you help us to be in the word, right? And would you lay somebody else on our minds when we're reading that scripture? And would you help us to pass on that message to them? Lord, we love you. Call this church, call the people in here. Lord, change our hearts. Help us to get on mission. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen, amen.